Hello, humans. Welcome back to Picture Scripture. The title of today's message is Fruitless, and we are going to be reading out of Matthew 21, 18 to 22. It is written, Now in the morning, when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only, and he said to it, No longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, How did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all the things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. So picture this. There are two men in the same church building, and they both appear to be praying. The first man's appearance is outwardly appealing because he is clean-cut and dressed in an exorbitant suit of the finest quality. Not only does this man have a necktie with a cross designed on it, but he uses a cross tie clip as well. This man is holding an expensive, premium, genuine leather Bible with his name engraved on it, P.H. Heresy. An open envelope protrudes halfway out of the Bible. On this envelope is the word tithe, written in unmistakably large letters so that anyone who sees it can read it. Protruding halfway out from the envelope are multiple dollar bills of high value. This man prays, Oh, I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like that slovenly man over there who has defiled and destroyed his temple with tattoos. The second man's appearance is less appealing than the first because he is dirty and his clothes are torn. Not only does this man look dirty and disheveled, but his character seems questionable due to all the tattoos all over his body and face. This man does not have his name engraved on his Bible. In fact, he doesn't even have a Bible with him. However, his name, Levi, is engraved on his dirty work shirt. Though it doesn't appear he has any money to put into the collection, he is offering up many genuine tears of repentance as he prays, Lord, thank you for forgiving a sinner like me, even though I don't deserve your forgiveness. Now, due to the lighting in the church, both men have their shadows cast upon the wall behind them. The first man's shadow looks like a mere skeleton, as if death has already devoured him. But from this shadow, we can also see that the skeleton is standing because a demon is manipulating it, holding it up as if it were the puppeteer holding a puppet on strings. However, the second man's shadow looks like an angelic new creation blessed by God. In fact, from this shadow we can see that Jesus is wiping away his tears. To understand this particular passage of scripture and why Jesus cursed this fig tree, it must be examined in its proper chronological context. Jesus cursed the fig tree about a week before his crucifixion, but after entering Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem and were able to see the temple at a distance. After entering Jerusalem, Jesus examined the temple, as we see in Mark 11.11, and then the next morning, Jesus wept over Jerusalem and its impending destruction as we see in Luke 19, 41 to 44. 
On the way back to the temple, Jesus cursed the fig tree. Jesus then entered the temple and cleared it from all defilement of buying and selling. And then, the next morning, the disciples witnessed a miracle. The fig tree had completely withered and died, as we see in Mark 11, 19-21. So, why did Jesus curse the fig tree? Well, details matter. It is written that this was the lone fig tree by the road in Matthew 21:19. Because it was a wayside tree standing alone, it is more than likely that no one owned that tree. Therefore, Jesus did not destroy someone's personal property and cause financial loss to anyone. Now, this solitary tree represents the lone nation of Israel as well as all individual Christians. As we learned from the Righteous Roots picture scripture, the tree represents the righteous person who should have his or her roots absorbing the living water. In Matthew 7, 15-20, Jesus tells us that every good tree produces good fruit, and by its fruit the tree will be known. However, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Interestingly enough, John the Baptist called the Pharisees and Sadducees a brood of vipers, or offspring of venomous serpent. John 8, 38-37 and then John told them they needed to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. John then told them that the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. See this in Matthew 3, 7-10. Thus, the Pharisees and Sadducees were considered to be trees without fruit. Now, many critics, especially atheists and Muslims, claim that Jesus cursed the fig tree in a childish temper tantrum because he was hungry and he didn't get what he wanted. But is that true? <laughs> no. Well, it is true that Jesus did not see what he wanted to see, but it's not true that he threw a temper tantrum due to uncontrollable emotion. So ponder on this. What is it that Jesus truly desires to see? Well, not only did Jesus have food that the world did not know about, John 4:32, but this act of cursing the fig tree was in fact the act of Jesus finding food because his food was to do the will of the Father who sent him and to accomplish his work, John 4:34. Jesus cursed the fig tree not because it didn't benefit him, but so that it would benefit us in our understanding of the kingdom. The Lord does everything with purpose and for our benefit so that we may learn by watching him, just as we see in John 11, 41-42. And just as the Son acted after watching the Father, John 5:19. So what lesson did Jesus want his disciples and us to learn from the cursing of the fig tree? When Jesus arrived, he saw leaves at a distance. Now with a fig tree, if you see leaves, you should also see fruit. Jesus saw leaves, but no fruit. A symbol of dwelling in peace and safety was for each person to own a fig tree, as it's written in multiple scriptures. Now the plundering, fruitlessness, and withering of the fig tree were symbolic of judgment, as also written in many scriptures. The favor and judgment of God are spoken of figuratively as good figs 
and bad figs respectively, as we see all throughout Jeremiah. The fig tree was also used figuratively of Israel as a nation, as we see Hosea 9.10. And just as the fig tree appeared to be fruitful from a distance, yet was fruitless upon close examination, so the temple and the religious leaders appeared to be fruitful, but were fruitless upon close examination. A tree that does not bear fruit is useless. It will have the most beneficial impact if it dies and something more fruitful takes its place. In this case, the faltering spirituality of the lone nation of Israel is in the process of being replaced by the new covenant of the church, which will grow after Pentecost, as we see Romans 11, 16 to 24. And so this is what will happen when Jesus returns. If the Lord finds trees with roots of righteousness and without fruit, they will be cursed, uprooted, and thrown into the fire. The trees without fruit are like the Pharisees and Sadducees. They are religion without relationship, profession without performance, faith without works, knowledge without wisdom, tradition without truth, and leadership without love. Both the religious leaders and the temple had the appearance of righteousness, leaves, but they were dead and without fruit. In fact, not too long after the cursing of the fig tree and clearing of the temple, Jesus publicly opposed, rebuked, and condemned the Pharisees for appearing righteous yet being dead inside, as we see in Matthew 23, 27 to 28. In the second coming of Christ, the Lord will examine every tree, every person, and will expect to find roots of righteousness and fruit. See Galatians 5, 16-25 and Ephesians 5, 7-17. Now, an interesting yet important and often overlooked detail of the cursing of the fig tree is the fact that the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to notate something special. And it was that it was not the season for figs, as we see in Mark 11:13. Now, each fig tree yields a great amount of fruit twice a year, in late spring and early autumn. Even though it was not the expected season for such an inspection, Jesus arrived on a day and hour the fig tree did not anticipate. Likewise, the second coming of Christ will occur on a day and hour no one will expect. Mark 13, 32-33, Acts 1, 7. And for this reason, we are commanded to be ready either in season or out of season. 2 Timothy 4, 2. Especially if you claim to be a child of God. A fig tree with leaves must also have fruit. Jesus only inspected the tree for fruit because it was showing off its leaves. How many people are showing off their religious leaves? Now heed this warning, religious leaves will be the first ones to be inspected. And so after the disciples marveled at the withering of the fig tree, Jesus told them that if they have faith and do not doubt, they will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but they would even be able to tell this mountain to be taken up and cast into the sea and it would happen. Now, nowhere in scripture is it written that the disciples ever cursed an actual, literal fig tree and caused it to wither. Not only that, but the fig tree Jesus referred to represented the hypocrisy of the religious leaders and the end of the temple and the nation of Israel as the lone representative of the Lord. 
Thus, Jesus essentially told his disciples, If you have faith and do not doubt, you will boldly speak out against the hypocrisy of the religious leaders and you will be the replacement of the temple and also be my new representative. But do we see this in scripture? Yes. Each individual body of every believer is now the new temple. Acts 1.8, 1 Corinthians 6.19.20, and 1 Corinthians 12.13. However, all believers unite and become the one body of Christ. Romans 12.5, 1 Corinthians 12.27, Ephesians 5.23. And it is also written that the disciples boldly spoke out against hypocrisy and taught the people to live righteously. In fact, Peter boldly spoke out against the very people who had been responsible for the crucifixion of Christ. Acts 4, 8-31, Acts 5, 29-32. And Stephen, though martyred, also spoke out boldly against the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. Acts chapters 6 and 7. Now, ironically, in Galatians 2, 11-21, Paul, who had once been the Saul who was present during Stephen's death, confronted and corrected Peter about his hypocrisy toward the Gentiles. Now, in the book of James, the author taught genuine religion by use of both faith and works. And in 3 John 1, 9-11, John used Diotrephes as an example of a proud and hypocritical religious person whom we should never be. Therefore, Jesus' disciples did, in fact, do to the fig tree what Jesus did. They spoke out against hypocritical fruitlessness. But Jesus also told the disciples that if they spoke to this mountain for it to be taken up and cast into the sea, that it would happen. But what is this mountain? And did the disciples ever take it up and cast it into the sea? Well, again, the disciples never cast a literal mountain into the sea. The word mountain is the English translation of the Greek word oros, which is used without specification. So, for example, it was used to describe the Mount of Transfiguration, or Mount Zion, or Mount Sinai, and even the Mount of Olives. Therefore, the word definitely has the meaning of a mountain or a hill, but what was Jesus implying by casting a mountain into the sea? Well, just as Jesus had used the fig tree to reference something else of deeper meaning, Jesus also used the mountain to reference something else of deeper meaning. In fact, the disciples had heard Jesus tell them this before, back in Matthew 17, 20, when Jesus said that with faith, even the size of a mustard seed, they can move a mountain. Now, if we examine that specific verse in its proper context, which would be Matthew 17, verses 14 to 21, it is evident that the mountain is a demon and evil opposition. Thus, moving a mountain is a hyperbole for not only overcoming great difficulties in general, but to specifically cast out and cast away demons and to move the rulers, powers, and forces of darkness in the spiritual realm out of the way. And Jesus actually showed his disciples an example of this when he cast out demons and they entered swine and they plummeted into the sea, as we see in Mark 5, 11 to 13. Thus, Jesus cast a mountain into the sea. 
Faith in Jesus, not our own power, is the requirement necessary to cast out and cast away demons and move evil opposition out of the way. Why? Well, because with people, miracles and salvation are impossible. However, all things are possible with God. It's written in multiple scriptures. But in order to believe, we must not doubt. How can you believe if you doubt? Jesus' brother, James, eventually wrote to fellow believers and taught us that we should never expect to receive anything from the Lord while also doubting the Lord at the same time. James 1, 6-8 In fact, it was this same James who taught us that the greatest way to move evil opposition out of the way is to completely submit our lives in faith and draw near to God and rely upon God. James 4, 7-8 so, did Jesus' disciples ever move mountains? Well, literally, no. Figuratively, yes. It was clearly prophesied in Mark 16, 17, and then it came to pass in the book of Acts, thus fulfilling the prophecy spoken by Jesus in John 14, 12, when he said that whoever believes in him will not only do what he did, but even greater things because he was going to the Father and also sending us the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Now, a powerful parable from Luke 13, 6-9 brings the cursing of the fig tree to conclusion. It says, A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Oh, let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine, but if not, cut it down. And so this parable explains the love and patience of God as it is written in 1 Timothy 2.4 and 2 Peter 3.8-9. The Lord does not desire for anyone to perish, but for all people to come into repentance and be saved. God waited patiently for the people to repent and start living according to his will, but they never did. The three years mentioned in this parable represents the three years of Jesus' ministry on earth. However, and as always with God and his word, the meaning goes much deeper than the apparent surface. With God's word, there is always depth beyond the surface. Had the Lord only waited three years, well, that alone should have been enough time to see fruit. However, the Lord, in His unfathomable mercy and everlasting love, waited patiently for fruit for hundreds of years since the construction of Zerubbabel's temple around B.C. 515 after the exile. In fact, Ezra returned with a second group of exiles about 80 years after Zerubbabel and found the temple rebuilt, but the lives of the people were in shambles. Thus, the three years of Jesus' ministry on this earth was a mere minor addition to the majority of 500 years the Lord already waited in order to see fruit from his people. Now, fast forward to around 30 AD, and we see that the Lord was still waiting to see fruit. And even though God saw no fruit, God waited patiently for another 40 years. 
But then, finally, in 70 AD, the temple wasn't just cleared as Jesus had done about 40 years earlier. It was completely destroyed by the Roman legions, led by Titus, as prophesied by Jesus in Matthew 24 too. Now this is what happens when a fig tree has leaves but no fruit. And so it is the same in this present day in which we now live. Every person who claims to be part of the body of Christ is the temple for the Holy Spirit. Every person who claims to be a Christian is putting forth leaves. Jesus is going to return soon, according to his reckoning of time, and he will see leaves off in the distance, and he will be looking for fruit. Will the Lord find you to be fruitful, whether in season or out of season? You need to be ready because the Lord is going to arrive on a day and hour you do not expect. Understand this, religion cannot save you. Both the Pharisees and the temple had the appearance of righteousness, but on the inside it was only disease and death which brought only destruction. Are you a religious hypocrite who is dead inside? Or do you have a genuine relationship with the Lord? It doesn't matter if you know about the Lord. The Pharisees knew about the Lord. Demons know about the Lord. Acts 19.15 Satan himself knows about the Lord. Read his interaction with Jesus, Matthew 4, 1 to 11. But does the Lord know you? Matthew 7, 21 to 23. If Jesus were to examine you right now, would he find only leaves or would he also find fruit? Genuine faith produces fruit. Why? Because genuine faith desires to do the will of God. Thank you for listening to Picture Scripture by Pointless Thorns Ministries. All Bible study lessons are provided absolutely free of charge to all people who desire to become dedicated disciples of Christ. However, in order to continue long term, we do rely on listener support. If you would like to partner with Pointless Thorns Ministries as a financial backer to ensure we can train up as many disciples as possible, you can give either a one-time or monthly tax-deductible donation by visiting pointlessthorns.wordpress.com or by simply clicking the link provided in our bio or about us section. May God continue to bless you as you continue to bless others.